everybody, it's hot as shit, and it's Hit Rewind, and I'm Michael, and I'm melting, and Jacob's on the other side, are you melting too? It's hotter where you are, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's only like in the 80s, you know, high 80s, but hey, it's not that bad, and hey, I think I just sweat off five pounds. <laughs> the nice part is, when I lived there, uh, it was a dry heat, and when they always joke about that, no, no, there is a huge difference. It's only like it was only like seventy five when I left today, and I walked to the gym, whatever, and it's just like, ugh, thick sweat. I can't breathe. Kind of. I'd much rather have uh, that weather. You know. I mean, I remember the code in in Apple was always stick to the trees, stick to the trees, (laughs) and then you'll be fine. (laughs) Hi, get in the shade now. Uh, all right, so we're continuing our discussion of films of 1996. Jacob, what are we starting off with? Well, we're starting off hitting heavy with The Great White Hype. Oh, my God. This is one of the great forgotten comedies, I think. Uh, I saw this in theaters to a, on opening weekend to a very, very empty theater because everybody went to go see Twister instead. <laughs> <laughs> I, and in fact after i got done watching this i snuck over and watched three quarters of twister again so <laughs> <laughs> no i don't blame you sometimes it's always fun to do that uh written by ron shelton uh who was going to direct this but he got tin cup green lit at the same time so he just stayed on as producer and you know in course co-writer but then he went over and did tin cup instead and it's directed by uh, Reginald Hudlin, who had just come off of doing uh, Boomerang. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's, oh, no. I think he's a really great director, but he just never had another hit. I love Ladies' Man. Oh, gosh, wait. Ladies' Man, is that, that's the one with Tim Meadows, right? The SNL character? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Dude, I love that movie, too. Yeah, it's so much fun. Um, uh, Underappreciated. A, a very biting satire on the business of boxing, not so much actually about boxing itself, because you really only see a match at the beginning and at the end, and it's only like five minutes of the whole movie. All it is is basically about like the Don King kind of character that uh, Samuel Jackson is playing and how he manipulates everybody and everything in order to get what he wants. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I know. He's, he's definitely all for the money and a sellout. Big time. He's the and, Sultan. Right, oh, God. <laughs> no, that beginning interaction when, you know, Demon Wayans, uh, you know, wins his fight and he comes in for his money and he's telling him, I love you so many times. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> you said I love you way too many times. Damn it, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, uh, I, I don't understand how it was so hard for Samuel Jackson to not only get a good movie, but a movie that he was the lead of. That was successful. And look how many times he was a lead. And only once, I think, Shaft, was it successful. Oh, God, yeah, I know, because he's always been, like, more of a supporting role. Yeah, but, like, that one where he's president and the kids hunting him was barely released, Formula 51, uh, 187, this. There's a few others in there, but he just never really got to be a lead very often. And then there were snakes on a plane. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. That one was probably his most hyped and, and the most possibility of it being a hit. But it just, it's okay. But, man, the buzz on it was insane. Yeah, I know. It was just so goddamn ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so it's it, if you haven't seen the movie, it's about a Don King kind of character named the Sultan. And he realizes that sales on boxing matches are plummeting. 
and he needs to do something big to bring back audiences and the, the thing is, is that it's mostly been black on black violence if you want to categorize it like that for decades it's it, you hadn't seen a white heavyweight since the early 80s and um I, I think in our heads that it seemed like it was normal because of the rocky movies and stuff like that but the reality was i mean can you think of the last white heavyweight champion of the world i mean you're talking decades before this movie yeah no shit rocky marciano is the only one that can come to mind right yeah, now it, it's it's funny so yeah he so he does this thing where he's just working an angle oh Damon Wayans is on, you know, the Reaper Roper. Uh, he, you know, he hasn't been defeated ever, I think. And uh, he, he goes back to, like, one of his high school youth amateur matches um, and finds Peter Burke, who is the dopiest but sweet guy. He really is a sweet guy. Terrible singer. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, God, yes, absolutely. <laughs> when they first meet him, he's just, like, you know, looking at groupies, which ones he wants to, deciding on which one he wants to sleep with. <laughs> yeah. The um, Oh, man. The boxing match that we had seen right before this, and I, I think the movie was probably already made by then, but it was September of, I want to say August or September of 95. It was supposed to be this huge Mike Tyson fight. And, and the pay-per-view on it was very high. And we gathered uh, in the lobby. Uh, this is freshman year of college. And Tyson beats a dude in like 93 seconds. <laughs> and most yeah. of that was just bouncing around waiting. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, dude. Tyson... When he did fight, God, no, yeah, he was a hitter. Yeah, it's and that kind of like makes me think of like what he talks about in this because it's it's inevitable who's gonna win. So the 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 ticket, what do you call that? The um, oh damn it, the ratio, you know, the like eighty to one chances, stuff like that. It changes payouts. Yeah. In Vegas and stuff like that. Yeah, like all the bets and whatnot. Right. So this changes a lot because the hype is so big, even though. You know, they've never seen uh, uh, Peter Burke's character actually fight. And then they're pushing the whole Irish angle when he's not. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, for real. <laughs> that was pretty... <laughs> the, the only thing oh, I man. would say about this movie that doesn't work sometimes, and it hurts it and it helps it at times, is the improv. You can clearly see a lot of these guys are just goofing around, seeing what works. Some of it does and some of it does. I mean, Jamie Foxx is absolutely on fire with his improv. Yes, oh my god, that I was about to say. Jamie Foxx, of course, you know, being on Living Color, already has, like, a lot of uh, expertise when it comes to improv and just sketch comedy, and he just nailed it. Yeah. I think <laughs> Especially this when is... he actually punches the face when he's holding up a gun near the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, the blink, 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 blink. <laughs> <laughs> the, um... The real big surprise here is that Jeff Goldblum would take a secondary role when he, at this time... Was pr well, no, that's right. And, uh, Independence Day has not come out yet, so maybe that makes sense because he had Jurassic Park, but then his next two movies didn't do that well, like Hideaway and stuff like that. But it's funny just thinking like he was a secondary role at, the, at a time when you know he was like one of the biggest guys in the world. Oh God, yes, I know. And it's Jeff Goldblum. Everybody loves Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, and he's so pretentious in this, and he's he's he bought off so easily, just like nothing. It didn't take any like fight whatsoever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, because he was uh. If I remember, yeah, he was a reporter, and he was just doing coverage on all these shows, and he was just, like, in their face. Yeah, he was trying to expose uh, the Sultan as, you know, a con artist and a scammer or whatever, and then just, like, instantly, like, hey, I'm hiring you. Okay. <laughs> no fight whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I'm John okay. Lovitz. John Lovitz does this thing in a movie that I still do to this day where he kisses his thumb and puts it out at you. I fucking still do that because <laughs> I, I watched this movie so many times when it came out on video 
but I hadn't seen in probably 10, 15 years. It, it brought back wonderful memories. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, oh, for sure. I mean, I watched it a lot on HBO when I was a kid. Um, you know, it would play so many times. Oh, my God. But the weigh-in scene, I think, was one of the most memorable because Damon Wayans has this prosthetic belly on. <laughs> I remember in theaters it looked real obvious because you could see the glue from the makeup on his shoulders or whatever. It looks much better on video. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the, you know, the first fight, yeah, I know, you can tell he's in good shape. He's in good fighting. You can tell he think he was a fighter. But then, <laughs> oh, my God, like, later on throughout the movie where he's just, like, kind of lazing about, not even getting, not even caring for training or staying in shape. Yeah. I'm getting in my <laughs> mood. This is my mood movie. He's watching fucking um, Dolomite. <laughs> right, right before a fight. So finally his manager comes in and turns it all off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just think it's 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 not no real big names besides Goldblum and, and uh, Samuel Jackson and Damon Wayans. But it's just like one of those solid all-star kind of casts. You know the kind of thing you would see like with Rat Race. There's no real big stars in that either, but it works. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God, who was the casino uh, manager? Oh, it's Corbin Burnson from uh, Major League. That's what I was about to mention too. I was like, God, I recognized him, but I couldn't remember his name. I love the end sequence where they're all dancing around, and then there's that slow mo at the end after Peter Berg's all defeated and he's walking through the hallways. <laughs> His stupid Irish leprechaun bullshit. Oh god, I know. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Still, again, it's definitely a good. It's definitely a good uh, watch, even if you're a fan of like. Yeah, even if you're a fan of boxing, and you're expecting uh, fights, even though there aren't any. This is still one to enjoy. Yeah, because it gets Especially, into the little itty-bitty stuff that people mostly ignore when they talk about boxing. Oh, exactly, yeah. And just seeing the actual behind-the-scenes of uh, promoting a fight and whatnot. I, or even when Peter Berg knocked out that one guy who was always like uh, trying to challenge Damon Wayans, and he ends up getting knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> right in the press briefing. What was his name? By um, Peter Berg. Fuck, he keeps saying I can't his name. remember either. Um... Shabazz, Marvin Shabazz. The oh, uh, wasn't wasn't he in uh, Cliffhanger? No, that was Leon. Uh, Mar Michael Jace, if I'm correct, uh, so he I'm pretty sure he played in the Michael Jordan story, but he was arrested. I don't know, ten years ago for murdering his wife. Oh, God. Yeah, you're never gonna see him in a movie ever again because he's doing like decades worth of yikes. Yeah. No. Good. Oh, before this, it says that he was in, in just minor parts. He was in Forrest Gump and Clear and Present Danger. Then he started getting bigger. Like, he's in The Fan, Boogie Nights, uh, The Replacements, oh. Planet of the Apes, uh, oh, wow. Cradle to the Grave. Okay, yeah. And then, uh, that's just terrible. Um, what is our next film? Okay. This, uh, again, Samuel L. Jackson, Innocent Funny World, but starring Gina Davis, Long Kiss Goodnight. Holy shit. One of the greatest action movies of all time that didn't open at all. I mean, we went opening... Well, it opened where we were. I don't know where it was like for the rest of the world. Me and my sister went that night that it debuted, and it was fucking packed. I mean, absolutely packed to the walls, and everybody's laughing their ass off, wowing. I mean, I was literally crying. Every time I watch this movie, I actually do tear up a little bit or I get, like, welled up. Because that little girl begging her mother to get up and, you know, kick some ass and save the day. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God, yeah. Just that whole, you know, uh, transitional moment where Gina Davis, 
is starting to remember who she was. Yeah. It's yeah, so it's an amnesia movie where Gina Davis finds out that she's not Betty Homemaker, she's a, a top notch assassin. And slowly the US like, oh, government. Yeah. And, and it's because uh she makes the local news and someone finds out that she's still alive because they thought that she Charlie Baltimore, right? Was the character? But Samantha Kane I believe so. Samantha Kane is who she's pretending to be. Yes. Fucking remember those oh. names. Wow. Um, but she's been hiring a detective, and she's running out of money and patience or whatever, so she's kind of like run down the the road of high-end detectives to Samuel Jackson, who's real, like almost like a con artist, like bullshit detective. Because um, isn't there a whole thing where he hires a bunch of homeless guys to set up this uh, someone for an affair or whatever and gets them to pay him off? It, it's real bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, because the, the guy was involved with like some narcotics, <laughs> and then his like his own secretary called him out. Was like, "Why are you using homeless people? It's like they're a lot cheaper." Yeah. Well, and, and this is uh, oh, fuck. Why well, can't I remember his name? He wrote it. Um, the director, uh, Sean Shane Black, uh, wrote this. Uh, Record setting oh, wow. one point five million dollar payday for this script, which had beat the last record, also set by Shane Black, of one point two million with Last Boy Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> oh holy shit wow damn yeah, again Shane Black's a great writer he his dialogue this is before he kind of cleaned up his dialogue it was really vulgar back then and, and really outrageous and that was kind of oh, what yeah. he was known for but there's that scene where where Samuel Jackson like kicks open this door and he's like man are you an ass fucking fan cause you're gonna be in prison doing a lot of ass fucking <laughs> oh my god and, and, or what is uh, uh, die a screaming motherfucker there's so many good lines in this oh when Brian Cox who plays an agent in this who's who's uh, trying to save Charlie um, he, his mother's dog keeps licking its butt <laughs> and he goes that dog has been eating its ass for a half an hour whatever's theirs for good or gone forever oh god yeah <laughs> What? Yeah, I know. There was a lot of funny stuff, but like uh, as soon as he gets going, like and he realizes, you know, Gina Davis's cover is getting blown. Yeah, he goes in a automatic help mode. Oh, it's like, but wait, I'm a member of the PTA. I can't do this. He's like, then quit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he goes. Why do you keep a uh, gun uh, near your penis? He goes, because men aren't uh, ready to frisk that area. <laughs> <laughs> which comes useful later yeah it's so funny watching like who do you trust who's good who's bad there's some blowout action sequences here and yes Rennie Harlan speaks the language of action is it logical action I don't know sometimes I think about the fact that all those people got murdered in the train station to kill those two and like was it worth it really was it really worth I mean, it, it, once you know the end of the movie, yeah, it makes sense because she saves thousands and thousands of people. And the whole thing is, uh, what is it, the CIA or whatever? I can't remember the group it was. I think it was the CIA. Yeah, they yeah, had, a certain part of the CIA, uh, they couldn't get funding anymore for their operations, so then they had to set up something, uh, some kind of terrorist attack, you know, on U.S. soil to justify them getting funded again yeah so they do a terrorist uh bombing they're gonna do it in niagara falls right so that it, it's a joint canadian american uh disaster that way that you know they'll get more people to join in on i don't know what they were i mean there's conspiracy theories of course about 9-11 people here like oh they just did this so they could get away with all this whatever you know i don't know about that it, I, I don't get too big into conspiracy theories but this is an interesting like early take on something that potentially could be like that I yeah just, how do you word no, that correctly? Well, 
Yeah. yeah. But as far as the science aspect of it, I will say this regarding 9-11. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, jet fuel might not melt steel beams, but it will heat it up to a point where it's weak and malleable. Yeah. Basic physics. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's got some blowout ball to the wall action. I still do not know. It has to be a miniature. That bridge is the biggest fucking explosion I've ever seen in my life. And I still oh, don't God, know yes. if that's miniatures. It has to be, right? Because it's not CG. And it's definitely, I mean, I don't know. Like, did they spend that much on a set just to get that, you know, big explosion? It was and a, the way she was just sliding down on those lights, just shooting at that helicopter. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's amazing. Everything in it is. The whole first action sequence when she's in the kitchen is so well designed. So you got, oh, God, you, got yes. you got great action. You got great character actors. Craig Bierko, who's mostly known as a comedic actor, fucking tears it up as the main villain in this. If yeah, I mean, I'm assuming he's the main villain, but he's the father of her kid or whatever, and um, he doesn't give a shit. He's just there to murder. He doesn't give a shit if that's his kid or not. And when she tells him no. to look in her eyes or whatever, oh my God. Um, and when, that's why she tells him to die screaming or whatever. He's a real bastard. I just think it's so well cast and so interesting. And just, my God, some of the sequences are so well designed. And Rennie Harlan never hit this moment again. Um, I know people love Deep Blue Sea, but and it's great. It's fun trash. But this is something different. This is as close as he gets to like that Die Hard 2 energy. Oh, definitely. Oh, God. And who, uh, One-Eyed Jack, the, the one inmate. Oh, yeah, Joseph McKenna. I've never seen him in anything else. Has he been anything else that I don't? I just don't remember. No, but his face does look awfully familiar. Yeah, he just looks like the kind of guy that would be a like a Skeletor henchman. <laughs> Twelve Monkeys. He wasn't Twelve Monkeys in the post band. I don't. I don't remember him in either one of those. But he's a very interesting face. Um, yeah, this the main mistake of opening this up against Ghost in the Darkness. And Glimmer Man. Can you imagine those three movies oh. duking it out on the same day? Kind of the same audience, just, you know, action guys. Yeah, damn. Stupid. Just stupid. You're cannibalizing your own audience. You're oversaturating. You're basically watering the plant a little too much. Yeah. The, um, and this kind of ended Gina Davis's action career, which is kind of sad because, you know, this and Cutthroat Island, they both lost tons and tons of money. I think it made about oh, thirty six yeah. million in America, and it cost sixty five. So, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. This is a damn shame. I love Gina Davis, and she definitely pours her heart and soul into like you know everything she does. I had this poster on my wall in college. <laughs> I remember. It's a dope. It's an awesome poster. Now, which one are you? Th- now, th- there's two of them. There's the one where it shows Samuel Jackson, kind of his face, and then. Uh, uh, Gina Davis from the side, like she's—it's more of a three-quarter body, whatever. But it's showing like a split image because she has two separate identities. Or is it the one where it's just Gina Davis and Samuel Jackson, both their heads together, one's holding a gun? You see like ski mobiles. Oh, I'm talking one with that uh, purple silhouette one. The one yeah, you mentioned. that one was that great. One. I thought it was a really good artistic choice. If you look at the cover for Maximum Risk, I'm almost certain it's the same guy that designed both because they have both a familiar like. They look similar in their, their their setup and design. I thought the the video one for Long Kiss Goodnight is so fucking generic. Like the Last Action Hero. Do you remember the poster for Last Action Hero for the movie? And then on video, two totally different. Oh yeah, no, of course it's just Arnold Schwarzenegger with the Desert Eagle for the movie poster. But the any uh again box art cover. Oh yeah, it's just him holding uh Danny and he's like swinging on a rope jack- without the jacket on. 
Yeah, well, actually, that, that, that's so much fucking cooler. It's flipped, actually. The one where he's coming into the movie, uh, into the movie theater, or whatever, ho- holding Danny. That was the original oh. theatrical poster. Then on video, they switched over to him just holding the Desert Eagle for VHS. But the, oh. all the new releases, like the Blu-ray and the 4K, they went back to the original cover because it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. Stick with that. That's all they had to do. Yeah. All right. What's but next? They dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this one, this next one, definitely was surprised. I always saw a lot of trailers for it, but I never actually watched it. Daylight with Sylvester Stallone. Fuck, it's so good. It's so goddamn I, good. It's one of the best Stallones. Absolutely. I mean, this was a this was appreciated at the time, right? Like, no. people went in and saw it. Um, it, it was a massive flop. Now, overseas, he always had a stronger audience. Like, people think that, like, The Specialist, Judge Dredd, and Daylight all tanked. I mean, they did tank in America. But because they were so expensive and people just kept, like, shitting on him. He got all these terrible awards, you know, like the Golden Raspberries and stuff like that. Yeah. But internationally, they have deeply appreciated him. And this is when Stallone realized that maybe he needed to change the trajectory of his career. Now, originally, the script was supposed to be much more uh, low-key, where he's not doing all the action-oriented stuff, you know, like that scene where he's just hanging from the big pillar or whatever, like, you know, yeah. but, but they went in and did a rewrite to make it more stallone But you could see that he wanted to change. Like, this and Copland were kind of a, a new direction for him. And no, absolutely, yeah, because, I mean, just his dialogue, you know, be, you know, being an EMT and running all these particular drills and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he, you could actually think he was an EMT. Well, he's more of a human being in this, you know, it's just... It's more grounded. Now, I've seen different variations. Like, this was originally a sequel script for Cliffhanger, but then the company went out of business, so nobody else bought it, or nobody bought the rights to Cliffhanger, like the sequel rights. But then the script went over to Universal, and they changed the name and the character and stuff like that. So I've heard that it's Cliffhanger 2 originally, but it it just feels different and it's a much better movie than cliffhanger i know people love cliffhanger i'm not a huge fan i think it's kind of trashy this is a legit straight up old school disaster film like from the 70s where they focus more on the characters um i mean it's it's interesting because like you think about twister and independence day and those are considered like the revival disaster movies but this one's different because they don't put themselves in harm's way and nothing otherworldly you know big scope comes to to you know give them grief it's kind of like the towering inferno or poseidon adventure where they're just innocent people trapped in a situation that just keeps getting more and more dire exactly that's what i was about to say yeah if anything was closer to something like poseidon like something out of their control too yeah i mean go ahead oh yeah and again this is like a very big cast too i couldn't help but notice uh, Vigo. Oh Marcus. yeah, this is like when people are starting to notice Vigo because he gets GIJ next, and I think uh, like Perfect Murder. He they're slowly realizing this guy could be a star, and of course, you oh know, absolutely, he seems like a guy who doesn't necessarily want to be a star. Like he just wants to be a really good actor, you know, and just get good roles. But you know, when money calls, you know, it's like, how do you turn down stuff like Hildago, you know? And it's like, oh, I'm going to go do a Cronenberg movie after this, you know? And that's kind of like his jam. Oh, yeah. History of violence. And then, of course, oh, the one where he's like a Russian uh, oh, KGB. Oh, Eastern Promises. KGB. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that. Oh, my God. Seriously, if Daniel Day-Lewis didn't win 
that year for There Will Be Blood, it definitely would have gone to Vigo. Yeah. The, um, it, it's, it, and it's really elaborate in the things that they could do in a tunnel was very creative and elaborate without being overwhelming special effects. It, all of it makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Even the panic from, uh, oh gosh, I forget the actress's name, but oh, she's the one who's, uh, she's a Brennan, writer. Brenneman, something Brenneman. She was on NYPD Blue. I can't remember her name. Oh my gosh. Now I have to look. Yeah, I, sorry, I can't remember. But Amy Brenneman. Amy, thank you. Yeah, when she panics at the end, that, that was a really heartfelt scene. There's just so much in this that really works. And I like the fact that Stallone stepped back and let other people shine. Um, Stan Shaw is one of those guys. You know, like the character actors you see all the time, and they always do a really fucking great job. But he is absolutely amazing as the transit cop. Um, sadly, disaster strikes. But, you know, I think that he was given a lot of good stuff to work with. Holy shit, that car, like, overwhelming him was like <laughs> like a monster movie. Oh, God, yes, I know. And, of course, them being underwater, though, did give him advantage because, like, things were a little bit more... Uh... What's the word I'm looking for? Oh, because the displacement of weight because of water can move things around. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, the, the yeah. thing is is that nothing really came out to compete with this. There's no real reason why it didn't do well. It just $10 million is all it opened up with, and when it's $80 million, that's bad. Yeah, no, just on your first week, on the opening weekend, yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, and then, of course, Sage Stallone was in this as well. Yeah, rest in peace. That kid died way too young. I know. Oh, gosh. What was it, uh, heart disease? Yeah, something. He had some problem in his, like, 30s or whatever that just, like, inflamed his heart or something, and he died super young. Um, it's total absolute side note, but uh, he ran a very small independent boutique Blu-ray company called uh, Grindhouse Releasing. And when I was working at a hotel in Cambria, um, Bob Miser. Bob Morosky, who is Sam Raimi's uh, go-to editor, um, he came in and visited, and we talked about the Grindhouse movies for an hour or two, whatever, and in the morning I woke up, um, came into work, and there was a package there waiting for me of of their movies. Uh, he, he said, uh, thank you for the fun talk. I love Grindhouse movies, and uh, I thought you would enjoy this. So at the time, Sage, whatever, was running that company with him, and boy, those movies are gross, but they were fun to watch. Right. But his no, legacy but no, lives awesome. on. Yeah, his legacy lives on because Grindhouse is still going. Mm-hmm. Heck, the, the two Grindhouse films, like uh, Planet Terror and uh, Death Proof. Yeah, different. Dr. Seven. Yeah, different company, though. They're, that's not from the same. Oh, uh, what, was that at least like a tribute to it? Kind of. I mean, they started right around the time that movie came out, and that's when I started getting really into Grindhouse movies. And this was, I want to say, two years later after Grindhouse had come out is when he came in and gave me those. Um, yeah, but so if you're interested in his, like, beyond his filming legacy, of course, the, the movies that they saved, they still have, I think, the rights to all of them. Um, pieces, wow. might, pieces might be my favorite because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> you, uh, the, the slogan for pieces is you don't have to go to Texas for a massacre. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Man. Dude. But again, I have to say, again, this is like, 
a lot of great uh, supporting actors like J.O. Sanders, Dan Hedaya. Oh, even this one I knew, uh, Danielle Harris from Halloween 4. Yeah, who looked just like my sister. When, when I was young, I watched those Halloween movies, and in my head it felt like my sister was being attacked by Michael Myers. Oh, gosh. Yeah. The um, I, I just I think it's one of those that really should be rediscovered. It's not campy. It's not, I mean, it got a lot of bad reviews. I just don't understand why. I thought it was really good. Yeah, no, I can't understand that either for um, some reason. But this is a very well movie. But uh, yeah, oh gosh, but like watching some of the scenes and like some of the disasters striking again and again, I'm like, oh, this hurts. I asked this somebody. Really hurts. I asked somebody who grew up in New York. I go, why did they put the? Why did they put it underground? That is terrifying. It doesn't really make sense to me because it's so prone to disaster. And I guess they have a limit. They can't have any more bridges in New York. They can't build any more. Oh wow. So that's that's why they that's why they went underground. But man, you're not gonna get my ass in an underground tunnel. No fucking way. Mm-mm. Yeah. All right. What's the next film? Okay. Next film. Okay. This, of course, being a kid growing up with Michael Keaton, this was a must-watch, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, Multiplicity. Okay. So there is a weird thing that happens with time and comedy. Sometimes you're not sure where. <laughs> they're going with things and how it's aged look i think uh number four <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, uh, i can still appreciate it yeah michael I, keaton just being that dumb goofball yeah i wouldn't say that he's playing them as if he's special needs or there was a different word we used back then which i will not repeat um yeah <laughs> he was underdeveloped yeah, he's like uh, not fully processed, not fully baked. Um, there's stuff from that I still... We saw this in the theaters, too. I would say for years... She's touched my pepper, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I like pizza. <laughs> okay, Steve. I like pizza. <laughs> he puts a fucking Just slice of pizza in his wallet and puts it in his pocket. It's almost as if he was a baby version of Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's... Well, and it, there's all these different personalities, so... Uh, if you haven't seen it, Michael Keaton is overwhelmed with work and his home life, and he can't seem to balance them. And he gets this opportunity from a scientist to clone himself. And to which my mother said, you know, they cloned a sheep back in the 80s. What makes you think they haven't cloned any humans and kept it a secret? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and, and so the first one is more of the macho version. He's the tough guy who's supposed to go to the job site and handle that, even though they've had no conversation, which causes <laughs> issues. Um, and then there's the more sensitive one, and then there's the one that was a duplicate of a duplicate, um, and that one is uh, the ridiculous one, the one that says all the silly stuff and says Steve all the time. <laughs> yeah, he calls him Steve, but his name's Doug. Doug. Yeah, <laughs> and, and still, I feel like there's a lot of improv going on, and people forget Michael Keaton was a stand-up comedian, and that for a long time he was funny. He was the go-to comedy guy, but then slowly he started adding more dramas, and the dramas took over. Is this the last comedy where he starred in? Like where he's uh, there has to be an oh no, there isn't because Jack Frost. Well, eh, I don't know what to say about Jack Frost. <laughs> Yeah, that was more of a kind of a family, uh, family fun movie. Yeah, and it's mostly CGI because he's barely in it. He's just voicing the character. Right. So yeah, I guess this is it. And this was a huge flop. 
I know, it's a damn shame because, you know, it's by Harold Ramis, and I loved Harold Ramis. Yeah. People forget there was a movie by Harold Ramis between this and uh, Groundhog Day called Stuart Saves His Family based on the uh, character from SNL. Oh, wow. Did you That's even know that? Directed was this? It? Yeah, he directed that, and it didn't make anything. Paramount dumped it. It made like $2 million. So he had to have a project going quickly. So they got this going, and, and I think he adds a lot with the cast, just like Great White Hype. Fucking Eugene Levy. Holy gold. Gold. Even though he's only in it for like five minutes. <laughs> I know. Just right at the very beginning. Just like in the vacation movies. It's like he always makes a mistake. But of course, in vacation, it was intentional. Yeah. This, well, also directed he... by Harold Ramis. Interesting. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, he was a great go-to. But then there was a the part with that Andy McDowell. You know, definitely... You know, weighing everything down, and of course, her her being his wife, yeah, and always like staying home, taking care of things. It does seem kind of a little bit more stressful for him because she wants to go back to work. Because you know she's a very successful woman; she's a college grad, she has a degree, and yeah, she's more than qualified to do that. And yeah, she's going up and up, and yet, again, as you mentioned, he's just like can't balance everything. So that even just kind of stresses them out a little bit more. Yeah. The the one thing that doesn't work in this, I think, is the early visual effects on how they look at each other. Like, you can tell he's just talking to someone off screen and it doesn't gel as well. But there's things I still cannot figure out how they did. Like, how does he chest bump himself? How does he pour coke for himself? How the fuck does he do some of this stuff? Oh, got it. <laughs> oh, God, pouring coke. that That's all he needed to do to, to get number four to talk. Yeah. <laughs> he was that easily bought. Just yeah. candy and pizza and Coca-Cola. Yeah, this is another one where we thought there was huge potential, and for some reason it just, can, didn't, it just didn't connect to audiences. I don't know what it was. Yeah, no, I felt like it was just like a lot of success on like, uh, like home video and uh, HBO. Yeah, a lot of these movies... Well, here's the thing is that they would get them cheap. Apparently, I didn't know this. I thought that HBO, like for the long story, I thought HBO and Showtime, they, they only aired movies like they had, they owned themselves or that they would split revenue with or whatever. And no, you would pay a certain price for a certain amount of airings. And if the movie bombed, you could air the movie way, way more at the same cost. You could play it 40 times for the same price that you would like play Independence Day five times. So that's why I played so much. Oh. Plus, HBO had a rule that if it was R-rated, it couldn't play till 9 o'clock at night. So what did you play during the day? PG and PG-13 stuff. That's why there's a whole like 80s and 90s filled with movies that didn't do well in theaters but played on HBO nonstop. Wow. That would explain it. Yeah. All right. Oh, it's a yeah. Oh. What is our last film? Okay, last film, oh my god. Man, the hype around this movie. Jeez, striptease, Demi Moore, holy shit. The hype is what hurt it. And the whole thing was, from the get-go, it was, oh, Demi Moore is getting paid $12.5 million to take off her clothes. Now, this isn't the first time she was naked. She was naked previously in Scarlet uh, Letter, which I have never seen, but I know that she was naked in it. Um, i trying to remember... I think she was naked in Up Close... Not Up Close and Personal, that's it. St. Elmo's Fire? No. Uh, what's the one where she got paid... Like, uh, they said, oh, I'll give you a million dollars for your uh, night with your wife. Woody Harrelson, Robert Redford, 
Fuck, what is that called? I can't remember. But you know what I'm talking about when he pays him a million dollars or whatever. Um, fuck, I can't remember. But whatever it was. So she's, I don't she, know. She, but she's naked <laughs> in that one or whatever. But there's all this like, they paying her $12.5 million to take off her clothes. That's the biggest paycheck for a woman ever. And that's what killed the movie instantly because that's all they talked about. I This is the weirdest part. I think the nudity, the, the sexy parts or whatever, are the least interesting parts of this movie. Maybe it's because of a long history of seeing porn that it was nothing to me. But, <laughs> um, but I think I think the story underneath all of that. I almost wish there was no nudity in this. That they just did cutaways or whatever, because the story uh, that goes beyond that is fucking fascinating and and it's really funny. Burt Reynolds almost walks away with this movie. Oh God, yes, he's just a horn dog politician who is infatuated with them anymore yeah and this was supposed <laughs> to save his career and change his image he he completely changed his look and his voice whatever his deep southern governor whatever he's very funny he's like, why are you why are you shiny sir <laughs> it's fascinating i can feel it squishing <laughs> between my toes <laughs> uh, yeah so he's wearing cowboy boots and his boxers and that vest and the hat it's like what the Fuck. And his manager's just going nuts trying to control him. Oh, the lint from the dryer. That's his horniness. Oh, my God. Oh, and Ving Rhames. What a sweet, sweet character. I mean, he rarely plays a character this this, this kind. I mean, I can only think of, like, when he's in uh, Mission Impossible, he's such a nice guy. Ethan. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, absolutely. He always looks out for Demi Moore and all the dancers at the yeah. club. He, you know, uh, is a bouncer at. And then, of course, he's also, like, involved with some, like, you know, schemes and whatnot just to get some more money. Yeah, like, the cockroach you know, is so gross. Or, uh, no, the incident with the snake later on, the python, it's like, oh, shit, it's dead. We'll go get another one. <laughs> I love when he goes into the video store and he goes, yo, Free Willy in? And she goes, no, nah, still. He goes, man, some motherfuckers just be sitting on titles. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, yes, video stars. Oh god, yeah. the door was a fun trip. Oh man, and Robert Patrick fucking changing his career. It's so funny, it didn't work for Burt Reynolds, but it worked for Robert Patrick because at this point, Robert Patrick's career was dead in the water. He was doing direct-to-video action movies. Um, and and it looked like he was gonna be stuck there for the like he was just gonna be known as the guy from T2. That was it. And he does this in Copland back to back, and all of a sudden people are like that's the dude from T2. Like, he grew his hair out. He got shaggy. He got fucking funny and weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> For real. Oh, let's not forget, like, the disaster of Double Dragon. And, and, wait, he was also yeah. in Die Hard 2, right? He was one of the... Uh... Well, yeah, but that's before Terminator 2. So it's just... It wasn't working oh, okay. out for him, whatever it was. And then, like, he, changing course... To just being a character actor is what saved his career. And and then, like, you know, what, three years later, he's taking over X-Files and stuff like yeah. that. Right, yes. Oh, God, yeah, he played that beautifully. Oh, uh, it's your Peacemaker. Oh, Peacemaker is so fucking great in Peacemaker. Mm. Oh, God, yes. Seriously, mm. I, as far as casting goes, I think feel like, well, I feel like James Gunn really did have a hand in it, uh, yeah, especially yeah. when he came to Vigilante, the character Vigilante. Uh-huh. But... Again, picking Robert Patrick, again, yeah, his character's a piece of shit and you want him to die, but he did play it off quite well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's a, it's a kind of like, um, I think it goes well with Get Shorty, where it's like this comedic crime drama. Um, so you have serious events, but it intermixes like these goofball characters and this really elaborate, like, what? Kind of like uh, bizarre schemes. 
But I mean, people are legitimately dying. There's literal, like, legitimate danger, whatever. And I just think, for whatever reason, people were so caught up in that and the fact that it came after Showgirls. Which, look, I know it has its called audience, but that movie's a piece of shit. It is. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it was just uh, it's Paul Verhoeven. He definitely goes over the top with some of the material he gets, especially with violence. Yeah. But still, uh, yeah, this again, yeah, Demi Moore's whole motivation is to get her daughter back, and it's played by her actual daughter, Rumor Willis. Yeah, uh, 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 the way the beginning plays out with the judge siding with the dad just because you know Demi Moore, I guess, wasn't exactly stable just yet because they had just divorced and well you know, that's that's the fucking strangest just, thing is she was an f oh yeah that's the other thing i was trying to think of she didn't know who burt reynolds was even though she was an fbi agent i thought that was weird like you would think you would know who your own <laughs> congressman yeah, I, I thought she for for sure yeah you know she was an f well she was a federal secretary and she got fired from being associated with her with uh, robert patrick yeah that's BS. that's messed up yeah and then she loses the kid and he gets i don't understand she said he, the judge said, because you don't have a stable job. Well, what did he have? <laughs> uh, just because he was a witness doesn't... I mean, uh, not a witness, a, a, a snitch. Come on. Yeah, he was an informant. Yeah, you don't get it. That's not a regular job, is it? Do you get regular pay? And then there, if you're an informant, you're in danger. How is that better for the kid? Exactly. Not to mention it's in Florida, so I'm like, why am I not surprised? The one thing that <laughs> bothered me also is... I wish the movie had stuck the landing and that she actually liked being a stripper. Like, instead of her feeling, like, ashamed. And I wish they had played that. Like, being a sex worker is not something to be ashamed of. And it... it I don't know. No, the support... No, the supporting... Like, the supporting dancers and whatnot. Yeah, and well, they didn't... They weren't ashamed of it at all. But, again, Demi Moore, she doesn't want that. I mean, considering how the judge just, you know, kind of screwed her over, you know, just for not having a job. And now that she has one, again, she was going to be slut-shamed. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, I mean that's what makes sense. But it is. I mean, overall, like her dancing, her choreography, especially the Annie Lennox songs. Yeah, you better like Annie Lennox, by the way. It's all Annie Lennox. Yeah, Demi Moore's is definitely all Annie Lennox, and gradually, yeah, that was the first time I heard the um, of the one she's like rehearsing to before Amar and Asante uh, goes to her apartment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That I can't remember the name of. That was the first time I heard that song. I remember when this came out on video, and the kid who lived across from us in the dorm rented it, and he had to go to class, and we all wanted to watch it, and we didn't wait for him to get out of class, so we started watching it in my room, and he walks over after class was over, and he's like, you fucking assholes, you couldn't wait, whatever, and he's so pissed. You know what? He was right. He was right. That was a dick move on all our parts. Jesus. (laughs) You, you betrayed him. I know. It was so, so How wrong. Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't wait. I was, it wasn't even like, oh, I got to go crank one out now. This is so hot. No, it's just. But my God, was Demi more so fit? Yeah, uh, I don't. I mean, that's not my. I mean, she stayed fit, but yeah. my God. The, uh, wow. This really did damage to Andrew Bergman's career. And if you don't know who Andrew Bergman is, he is the guy who wrote uh, Blazing Saddles and the oh, wow. in-laws and he would hit his stride in the 90s because he did the freshman uh honeymoon in vegas uh shit i can't remember the one he did uh it could happen to you um and then Damn. yeah so he had three hits right in a row that were critically acclaimed and then this and man they were ready to just stomp 
stomp this movie into the mud and he got a lot i think he only directed like one more movie after this isn't she great with uh bet midler and nathan lane and then it was over with damn yeah so um i i like i think all five are worthy and all five of these tanked which is sad no absolutely uh again i didn't even think that uh you know daylight again me being a kid and not going out to the movie as much or knowing behind the scenes stuff but seeing all the promos like on HBO and on uh, TV, yeah, I felt like they were huge hits. Yeah, it's just so weird because, yeah, when you're a kid, you don't know because if it's hyped like crazy uh, and, and it's in theaters and it's on video and they're promoting the crap out of it, you just think, oh, this has to be a hit because it's on all the time. No, it's just a certain, like the thing I explained to you with how many times it cost to air it. They got it cheap, so why not? <laughs> they lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm going to be like Chris Farley <laughs> SNL sketch. You lied to me! <laughs> because it was that, that little uh, Colombian crystals uh, fake coffee stuff. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. But um, Oh man, it was, it was such a funny sketch. You have to look it up. Alright, so five worth rediscovering uh, or discovering for the first time. These aren't the big ones we explained and uh, we discussed in the first few episodes. Like the ones you just can't get away from. And that's kind of what's the, le- the rest of the season are these underdogs. Because the next episode is Waiting for Guffman, Spy Hard, My Fellow Americans, Escape from L.A., Solo, all five tanked. Right. Well, Waiting for Guffman, I don't know if you could count. I mean, that was such a tiny movie, and it made like three or four million dollars. I don't know if that counts, so I mean, I'll take that off the <laughs> bomb list. <laughs> all right, everybody, yeah, no. that is it. Jacob, send us out. All right, everybody. Namaste and good luck. Be excellent to each other. And stay cool, dudes. <laughs>